It's a wonderful line on that fourth stanza of this hymn, To Praying Souls. Uh, He always grants more than they can express. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth as we go to the Lord. Let's go to his word. Uh, If you would turn with me to uh, the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter. Uh, We're in chapter 1. We're looking through this uh, letter together. We'll be reading this morning verses 6. Uh, through 13, uh, and then we'll be looking specifically at verses 10 uh, through 12. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. You remember, we were reminded of all that we've been born to, and then the Apostle Peter writes this, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, you've now, been, that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which Angels long to look, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we have just sung together that to praying souls, uh, you always give more than we can even express. And so, Lord, this morning, we pray to you that you would indeed, through your word and by your spirit, open up to us the glories of your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, 4,437. That's the number of times the pronoun them appears in the ESV translation of the scripture. 5,447, the number of times the pronoun me appears in the ESV translation of the scripture. 14,399, the number of times the pronoun you appears in the ESV translation. Of the scripture. From verses 10 through 21 here in 1 Peter, some form of the pronoun you or your is used about 18 times. So make no mistake about it, this passage of scripture that we are embarking upon has everything to do uh, with you. With you. We've already found in this letter of 1 Peter uh, that the apostle is concerned to speak about the matter of our identity. Who are we as Christian believers 
today? Well, we learned we are fundamentally strangers and exiles and pilgrims in the world of sin, but uh, we are chosen, we're elect, and we are set apart by God for His purposes. So we are in this world, but we are not of the world. Uh, We saw that uh, we are born to a new life that's characterized by a living hope. We have a new inheritance, eternal life, rather than eternal death. We have a new assurance, that is, we're not kept by our own faithfulness or strength, but we are kept by the power of God all through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, received by faith. And we saw last time that that this truth, indeed, moves us, it causes us to rejoice with an inexpressible, unspeakable joy that's not crushed and defeated and wiped out by persecution and trials, but it's strengthened, it's refined as though tested through fire as we keep our minds and hearts and love and joy focused on the crucified and risen Christ. And so through faith in Him, we're obtaining the goal and outcome of our faith, the free and full salvation of our souls because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, one of the great purposes, of course, of this letter that we find as we go through this letter is to equip Christians like you and I to be able to live hopeful and joyful and loveful lives in this world of sin and suffering where Christians should expect persecution for faithfulness to Christ. So this letter is about to encourage us, strengthen us to be faithful Christians in a world of sin and also in a world in which you will be persecuted if you believe in Jesus. So this letter is meant to help us not to withdraw from our culture in fear and not to compromise with the culture in unbelief, but instead that we would be bold and joyful witnesses to Christ in the world, but in love and hope and faith, certainly not of the world. And so last time we saw that Peter wants us to remember that God is refining you in your trials and the joy you have in Christ endures and is filled with glory That is, it's filled with wonder and filled with a sight of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the inexpressible delight you have in His love and forgiveness and salvation. This passage of Scripture has everything to do with you. Personal pronouns are important in the Bible. Verse 6, in this, that is, these great truths about what is ours through the resurrection of Jesus, in this, you rejoice. And so the question we asked last time was, well, do you? Well, let's look this morning at some of these crucial pronouns here in our text this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. First of all, uh, let's look at them. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Let's think about them. Them, that is, the prophets. Them who searched. Now, Peter pictures here for us the Old Testament prophets. So you can think Moses, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, and more. He pictures them searching and inquiring carefully. Uh, searching intensely is the intention there of that word into matters that were so amazing, so astounding, so marvelous, it was really beyond them. The prophets prophesied, we're told, about the grace that was to be. In fact, listen again to verse 11. Inquiring what person or time 
the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The thing is, you need to ask yourself, who is speaking when I read the Old Testament? Peter says prophets were speaking. Prophets were prophesying, yes, but, uh, but more. Peter says the, the spirit of Christ in the prophets was speaking. The spirit of Christ in them was, was indicating, was, was directing them about one who was to come. He, the spirit of Christ, was in them. Now, that's interesting because that tells us that there's something here about the, the pre-existence of Christ himself. The word was God, with God in the beginning. Here, Peter says the spirit of Christ was already at work in the Old Testament prophets. So they spoke, yes, about the grace to come, but it was really the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the whole Old Testament about? Well, Peter says they prophesied about grace that was to come, and they predicted, they prophesied of the predictions of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That is, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament prophets, what are they talking to you about? Well, the message of the prophets was, was Christ, his sufferings, and his subsequent glories. That's what's going on when you're reading your Old Testament. Uh, Jesus reminds us of this when he's, uh, after his resurrection, speaking to his uh, disciples. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, because unless, of course, the Lord opens your mind, it's closed. So then he opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, thus it is written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is what the... Uh, the prophets spoke about. We also find out that the prophets searched and inquired carefully about the ins and outs of salvation. Now, notice this is how the verse 10 starts, concerning this salvation. In other words, there was a desire on the part of the prophets to know more. They have the Spirit of Christ in them, indicating what was to happen many years in the future of the coming Messiah. The Christ, the anointed one, is what that word means. And so Peter says they searched, they inquired, they studied, they discussed, they, they pondered. They want to understand better. They want to understand uh, as much as they possibly can about this whole matter of salvation and grace and the Christ to come. And they can't get enough of it. They searched intently. And we know the prophets knew Something more was coming. The Bible says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So the prophets, remember, they didn't enjoy the fullness of grace. Christ did not yet come. The book of John says the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That is the fullness of grace and truth. Not that there wasn't grace and truth in the Old Testament, just as there's, it's not that there's no law in the New Testament, but the fullness of grace and truth comes in Jesus. They didn't have that yet. 
And Hebrews tells us the gospel was preached in the Old Testament, but we have that gospel in its fullness. The prophets knew something more was coming, something better. So they asked questions like, what person is it going to be? They asked questions like, whoa, what time is this going to happen? What are the circumstances going to, going to look like? Who will be the Christ? When will he come? Oh, they were full of questions about the future. We have a, uh, a son in our family who loves to know and search and inquire about what is coming next. You might know him. He asks questions like, who's coming? You know, what day? What hour? Let's put it on the calendar. He likes to know what's coming. Where, when, who, what, why. This was them, the prophets. Them who searched diligently to find out more about salvation, grace, and the sufferings and the glories of Christ. You know, Jesus would speak in the New Testament to the religious leaders of the day that they searched, they did. The Pharisees searched diligently the scriptures, but they didn't see Jesus there. They were blind to it. They searched diligently, we know, because they thought there was virtue and merit and ways to earn points with God just by the fact of searching. But no, the searching is after salvation and grace and the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Them who searched put us to shame, don't they? This should, this should rebuke us who have so much more revelation than they. They searched intently. They inquired carefully because they knew salvation and grace and the Christ was coming. We know who. We know when. So we have, friends, all the more opportunity to search and inquire and dig deep into the things of God, all the blessings that are ours in the Christ. And remember, friends, the whole scripture speaks of him. The spirit at work in the prophets, all pointing to the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, Jesus on every page. Yes, Matthew through Revelation, but also Genesis through, through Malachi. And so you read of judges and kings and priests and sacrifices and prophets and servants and a nation and a kingdom and a treasured people and worship. It's all about him. Wrote David Murray in his book, Jesus on Every Page. It was the Old Testament which helped Jesus. Listen to this. It was the Old Testament that helped Jesus to understand Jesus. Who did he think he was? What did he think he was to do? The answer came from his Bible, the Hebrew scriptures in which he found a rich tapestry of figures, historical persons, prophetic pictures, and symbols of worship. And in this tapestry, where others saw only a fragmented collection of various figures and hopes, Jesus saw his own face. His Hebrew Bible provided the shape of his own identity. And so, first of all, if we would be faithful witnesses as God's people in this world of sin and suffering and persecution, we need to understand God's word is full of the sufferings and the glories of Christ, and then search it out. Them who searched the prophets. And we find those, that is, those who preach. Notice verse 12. 
it was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Those, that is those who preach. And so the prophets of the Old Testament searched and inquired and prophesied of grace and salvation and the Christ to come. And they give way in the Scripture to the preachers of the New Testament who proclaim and announce the salvation and the grace and the Christ who has come. The message of Christ himself. The message is Christ himself. Preachers announce, they declare, they are heralds of the truth. They are ambassadors. They have been entrusted with a message from the king. They don't make up a message themselves. Imagine an ambassador of a king or president today simply making a speech off the cuff in behalf of the king. Ah, what will I say today on behalf of the king? Uh Uh-oh. No, he's to announce not his own message, but the message or news of the king, here described as good news or gospel. Those who preach are to be announcers. When I was a young man, many, many years ago, I studied broadcast journalism. This is when I was very far from the Lord. Didn't know what I was going to do, loved sports, so I thought I'd study to be a news and a sports announcer. And so I went to school, I was able to get some experience announcing women's basketball, you know, men's hockey, that kind of stuff, and reporting the news for a radio station. My producer would not have been impressed if during the broadcast of the news, instead of announcing the news, I would have embellished a little bit or changed the facts. I wasn't to announce something I made up, but to announce what in fact had happened. Some church services are full of announcements. Next potluck, right? Raffle coming up. This event, that event, social gatherings, political news, and on and on. Here's what preachers, the Bible says, are to announce. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Notice it's the same message in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The difference is this. As Augustine said, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. But it's the same message. What is it? The cross and resurrection of Christ, the sufferings and humiliation of Christ, and the subsequent uh, resurrection and glory of Christ. Those who preach, says Peter, preach this. The Apostle Paul was convinced of this truth, and so when he opens his letter uh, to the church in Corinth that was going through a a hard time and a sinful time, a rebellious time, this is what he said, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when uh, the apostles needed uh, uh, another apostle, remember the beginning of Acts, because Judas, right, had fallen away, and, and they needed another apostle. And the Bible in Acts one twenty one tells us, what's the qualifications? Who can possibly be Uh, another apostle. Well, it has to be, the Bible says, someone who has been with us and Jesus this whole time and has been a witness to what? To his resurrection. That 
qualifies them. The cross and the resurrection. In fact, remember what Peter's already told us right here in this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's glorious. That's the subsequent glories. Those who preach, preach. Peter says this good news, this gospel, it's all about seeing Jesus. So you need to ask yourself, what do you look for in a preacher? Long sermon? Short sermon? Tall? Short? Slim? Fat? Um, What do you look for in a preacher that I might see Jesus? Whoever preaches from this pulpit, this is what you must crave from those who preach. And it's possible, of course, to crave other things. Paul says that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. People are going to come around and and they're going to come to to this Sovereign Grace building or they're going to come to the village. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear, you know, they don't want to hear sound doctrine or teaching or anything like that or the great acts of God for their salvation. They want to have their ears tickled. That will happen. Friends, when you come to worship and when you listen to a preacher in a service on the radio or on a screen, wherever and whenever, you're not looking for a social issues preacher. You're not looking for a political preacher. You're not looking for a health and dietitian preacher. You're not looking for a comedian preacher. You're not looking for a feather duster preacher. Tickling the ear? No. You're looking for a gospel preacher. You're saying to yourself, please, please, let me hear about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, that is, following glories. And you see, friends, the message of the gospel serves as the pattern for the Christian life. That there's no crown without a cross. Now, Peter has already told us this in verse 6. In this you rejoice, all these wonderful truths, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are, the Bible says, subsequent glories. That is, glories that follow. Remember Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, for the joy that was set before him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And you, for the joy that is set before you, endure whatever suffering or trial God might bring. Glory is the outcome of Christian suffering. As it was the end and outcome for Jesus, he rules and reigns today. He's no longer on the cross. Them who searched, those who preach, preach this Jesus. And how are those who preach enabled to preach? This brings us to a third pronoun in our text. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the subsequent glories. He, that is, he who speaks. As we saw briefly before, the prophets prophesied, but it was he, the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, indicating and predicting the sufferings and the subsequent glories. And when those who preach, preach, they preach the good news, we are told in verse 12, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to Paul again in in 1 Corinthians 2, just as he's told them he didn't come with eloquent words or uh, wise words. He goes on to tell them his preaching philosophy, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message. We're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why, incidentally, we pray before we preach. This is, incidentally, why we pray before we hear preaching. This is why we pray and you pray when you read the Scripture with your family. This is why uh, we, we, we pray when we seek to do anything in service of the Lord. We always start with prayer. Because here too, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Now, how do we actually come to believe the Bible, in fact, is God's Word? How do we come to embrace that good news? Well, listen to what we confess in our confession of faith. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. So we might, you know, because you belong to a church, the OPC, the OPC says the Bible is the Word of God. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's probably true. And we're convinced by the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection of uh, our arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. And so, yeah, so you have studied the Bible and, uh, and, and you maybe you had the King James and, and whatever translation you think, oh, this all fits together. It's all so wonderful. It all tells one story. Isn't the literature marvelous? Isn't it, isn't it a wonderful uh, work of, of literature? There's something special about it, you might conclude. So all of that's true. Yet, this is what we confess. Yet, notwithstanding all that stuff, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Again, He is the one who speaks. How's the gospel preached by those who preach so that those who hear may in fact believe? Listen to our larger catechism. How is the word of God made effectual to salvation? The spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto 
salvation. It's the Holy Spirit of God who makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word of God, effectual. He's the one who speaks in the Scripture. He's the one who inspired the Scripture. And He's the one who enables you and I to hear the Scripture and believe the Scripture and to love the good news we hear. And there is no good news preached faithfully except by the Holy Spirit. Friends, He does this work. He is speaking through the Word, by the Word, not anyone and not anything else. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you come to believe what you read and what is preached to you. No uh, academic acumen will do it. You know, if you get a couple of degrees. No oratorical skills will convince you this is true. Not clever and funny stories, not newspaper commentary, not cultural analysis. The Holy Spirit, He who speaks... He who enables, he who opens ears and blind eyes. And so we pray. I pray. You pray. We all pray. Or do we? Perhaps the churches of America and professing Christian families in America are weak and lifeless and worldly. Because we've sought to preach the message and hear the message and live the message in a world of sin by our own wisdom rather than in dependence on the word and spirit of God. Them who searched, those who preach, he who speaks and enables, and they who long, they who long. It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things they, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, things into which, hmm, things into which angels long to look. You see what's going on here? Prophets searched and inquired diligently into what they prophesied regarding the sufferings and the glory. Preachers announced the sufferings and the glory. The Holy Spirit predicted and indicated and enables the preaching of the sufferings and the glory. And the angels of heaven themselves long to look into the sufferings and the glory. The word long is a very important one here. It means to peer in from the outside. We find it elsewhere in Scripture, for instance, in John chapter 20. Remember when uh, they're on the way to the empty tomb? And the disciple whom Jesus loved outruns, gets there first, and what does he do? He uses this word. He, he peers in to the tomb. What John did, the angels do. They look in from the outside. Think about a little child pressing his face against the window of a candy shop that's closed. There are many reasons, friends, you and I can envy the angels. Psalm, says, Psalm 8 says, we were created a little lower than the angels, so they are above us in many ways. The Bible says they are ministering servants of God. Hmm. They don't sin the elect angels. They are not limited by a physical body. But did you know the Bible says that angels would envy you 
in one important way, that they can't fully understand salvation and grace. But they long to look into it, to know more about it, because they don't experience it, you see. They were there at the creation of the world. They were there throughout the Old Testament at the birth of Jesus in the wilderness with Jesus and his ministry and his sufferings at his death and his resurrection, ascension. They'll be with him when he returns. They have a front row seat to the history of redemption. But at no point are the angels the object of the mission of Christ. Jesus did not come for them. Jesus, the Bible says, came to save Sinners. Jesus did not live a perfect life for them. Jesus did not obey and suffer and bleed and die and rise and ascend for them. Of salvation and grace, they do not know. But you see, friends, they long to. They long to know what it's like to be, to be the object of his saving work. Oh, they, they long to know what it would be like to, um, to be the object of the Lord's affection and love and sacrifice and mercy as Christians are. But they never will. Which brings us to our last pronoun this morning. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you. Through those who preach the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is for you. Not them, not those, not he, not they, but you. This is called the second person pronoun. In English, when we say you, we make no distinction between you singular and you plural, unless you're from the South, and you say you and y'all. Well, this you in these verses is y'all. In Greek, it's very clear. In Greek, it's very clear when you're talking to one person or to more than one. This is to, to you all. You all hearing. So prophets were not serving themselves, but you all. Preachers are announcing good news to you all. The Spirit of Christ is speaking to you all. Angels are longing to look into salvation, which is made known to and experienced by you all. This is the message of the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories for you. And here's the point. Friends, angels ask questions like, what must it be like? To be saved. What must it be like to experience salvation and grace? What must it be like, say the angels, to be effectually called, regenerated and justified and adopted and sanctified and glorified? Here's the thing. Angels are always a spectator of salvation, but never a participant Yes, they rejoice, the Bible says, over one sinner who repents. But no angel ever sees his sin. No angel ever confesses his sin and repents of sin. 
And no angel ever puts their whole trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. They're always always a spectator. Always on the sideline looking on. Think of all those times you sat on a bench in sports or something looking on. Or looking on from afar. Attendance at the wedding. But never the beloved bride. Always thinking, I wonder, I wonder what it's like. Sadly, friends, many a person who attends church or a worship service though they may profess to be a Christian, is just like that as well. They may be physically present in worship, but they are a spectator. And they're thinking to themselves, I wonder what it's like to actually believe. Like these other folks around me, you know, I don't believe. I'm just here, but I wonder what it's like to put your faith in Jesus Christ. They never sing because they have nothing to sing about. When the Bible is preached, it hits their ear and falls to the ground. But here's the saddest of all things. Not only are they a spectator, but unlike the angels, uh, they have no longing to know. Angels, at least they're spectators, but... They long to know what salvation and grace and the sufferings and glories of Christ are all about. But you can be a spectator in this building this morning and be completely devoid of any kind of longing to know what has been fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Peter says, it's a message that prophets searched into. Preachers announce it. The Spirit actually is is speaking it and enabling it to be received. Angels long to look into it, um, but it's all for you. You are called to faith. You are called to repentance. You are called to believe these things. A message of a Christ crucified, a Christ risen a Christ ascended, a Christ reigning, and a Christ returning, all for you. So perhaps it was in light of these truths that we read in Hebrews, how shall we, says the author to the Hebrews, how shall we hmm, escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see, it was revealed to them, that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what do you say? What do you say? Prophets searched intently. Preachers announce he has come. The Holy Spirit is the one who is speaking. And angels, oh, they long to know what salvation and grace like this is all about. But the question is, friends, what say you 
about these things. Make no mistake, friends. This is a most important personal pronoun in the Bible. Good news to you. May God grant you ears to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father we thank you for your, your grace and mercy to us. Lord, you are the one who reveals to us by your Holy Spirit these great truths. And we know, Lord, that this, this message that we hear, that, that prophets all wanted to know more about, that preachers announce as being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension and glory and, and coming again. This message that comes to us from the Holy Spirit and is made effectual to us by the Holy Spirit. This message that the angels would, would long to know what it is like to trust in Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of all their sin, and to know newness of life. Lord, all of this comes for us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to receive this message of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ, that we indeed would obtain the outcome of our faith, the very salvation of our souls. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.